Great to have you here. My name is um, Stuart Dean. Uh, I'm a pastor in uh, Acts 29 Church um, just outside of Leicester, uh, a town called Hinckley uh, here in the UK. And um, what we're going to spend uh, the next hour or so thinking about is what's the week uh, in the life of a church planter look like. Um, in some ways, there's no answer to that question, is it? Because our context will be really different. Uh, we'll be different people. Um, the circumstances in which we're ministering will, will be very different. But what I hope to be able to do, give us some principles that will be common to all of our contexts and to all of our work, and then to give us opportunity to think about what does that look like for you. So there are going to be times when we'll just have a, a few minutes silence for you to be thinking about your situation and how do these principles work out where you are, because I certainly don't uh, assume to know the answers for your situation. So what I am um, expecting really, what I'm assuming from you, is that you're probably really keen on church planting. Uh, that's why you're here. Um, but perhaps you haven't got loads of experience of ministry. Um, so you're at the stage maybe when um, you're not quite sure what a working week looks like for you. But again, I don't even want to assume you've got a whole week because you could be bivocational. So we could have a whole number of different situations here. So we're going to think about principles. And what are our priorities uh, in planting churches and why? And we're going to think about um, practicalities. And I want to ask the question, given our priorities, um, what stuff do we actually need to do in a week? What does a church planter actually fill their time with? Uh, and I also want to ask the question, how are you going to get that done in your context? Um, so um, if you're really experienced, if you're on top of those things, uh, I'm not offended if you leave now and go to a different seminar. Um, so that's what I'm going to assume. That's where we're going uh, together. Um, let me pray and then we'll talk. Our Father in heaven, we want to give you um, great thanks. Great thanks for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Great thanks for the unity we have in fellowship with Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for the privilege we have with sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus in our contexts with those who are far from you. Father, we pray that you do a mighty work and we pray that you'd help us to be useful to you in your purposes. Over the next hour or so, Help us to see from your word what our priorities should be. And by your spirit, give us wisdom. The sort of wisdom we were thinking about yesterday to do life well. And in particular, to do life as a church planter well. To control our diaries with wisdom. To use our time and our energy and our circumstances and our gifts. All for your glory, to plant churches that honour Jesus. So help us please now to use this time well so that we might use all of our time well. But we ask it in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. So a week in the life, um, practicalities and priorities. The sheets you've been given, uh, we won't use those for a little while. If you want to scribble all over them, you're welcome to. Um, but they're for something we're going to do in a little while. Um, so some of the time I'm going to be speaking, I'll speak for sort of 10, 12 minutes, something like that, and then I'll hand over to you to do some thinking and speaking as well. Uh, so just turn to a person next to you or two, uh, introduce yourselves quickly, and then just chat about what do you think your priorities should be. You're planting a church, uh, let's say Monday next week is your first day, what are your priorities? Just uh, chat about it with two or three around you, just to get you thinking on this question. Hi, come and join us. 
Okay, I'm certainly not expecting you to have nailed uh, the issue in that time. It's just an opportunity just to get you thinking. You might not even have got past introduction but that's fun, uh, for next time. Gets your brain in gear, thinking about priorities. Um, you would have gathered, uh, Acts 29, we're passionate about the centrality of the gospel. And if you've read any of uh, Steve Timmis or uh, Tim Chester's books, you'll have uh, picked up um, three priorities that gospel centrality gives us. Um, to be gospel-centred, first it means being word-centred. Being word-centred, because the gospel is a word, it's a message. So we're word-centred. Uh, secondly, it means being mission-centred. Welcome, come on in. It means being mission-centred, because um, the gospel is not just a word, it's a word to be proclaimed. It is momentous news, a momentous message. Uh, and thirdly, it means being community-centred because the believing community is the primary context of the gospel. So I'm going to think in those terms um, this afternoon, being word-centred, mission-centred, community-centred. And we're going to have a real fly-past, um, sort of high-speed chase through the Bible uh, at some of the reasons that they are our priorities. Um, I'm not going to be going in depth, so if you're sitting there thinking, oh, the Greek says this or that, great. But we really haven't got time if we're going to get some practical stuff done as well as think some priorities. I'm aware we're flying over. Uh, apologies for that, but please do follow these things up more uh, in your own time. And if you want some uh, help about where to go, I'd glad to answer any questions on that. So we've got um, word, mission, and community. And we're going to think about each. Then we're going to pause. We're going to think about what's the implications of those on our time, on the things we should be doing as church planters. Uh, and we're going to have a mix of me talking and you talking. We're going to begin with me. Uh, and we're beginning begin with the Word. Grab a Bible or flick open your phones to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And um, would someone mind reading to us? Anyone happy to read to us? Just verses 8 to 10. Brilliant. Thank you. John 14, 8 to 10. No, we don't mind American accents. Go for it. Thank you. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Thank you. So we're thinking about the priority of the Word of God in our time. And um, here we've got um, uh, Philip, and he really wants to meet God, doesn't he? Show us the Father, he says, and that will be enough for us. And what does he get? He gets a man talking. 
He wants a glorious spiritual experience. He wants a vision, perhaps, of God. He gets a man talking. Jesus replies to him, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So God is made known in Jesus. But in particular, in verse 10, the words I say to you. God is made known through his words. And Jesus continues, doesn't he? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living me in me who is doing his work. You see that interesting link? It's through the words of Jesus, he says, that God the Father is doing his work. God is made known through his word, and God is at work through his word. He's made known, and he's at work through his word. And that's no surprise when we consider what the whole of the Bible has to say about God's word, which is right at the core of everything. So we're going to um, hit the accelerator and just fly through the scriptures just to see that God's word is right at the centre of all the work that God is doing. So God um, creates by his word. So think of um, Genesis 1. Uh, God speaks, doesn't he? Powerful words. And he speaks creation into existence. Uh, we see in Hebrews 1 that God sustains all things by his powerful word. God creates by his word. More than that, God is made known um, by his word. God's made known. Uh, I think it was Yuri Gagarin who was the first human to journey into space. And when he got there, he reportedly said, I don't see God anywhere up here. Well, he's not going to, is he? Because you don't see God. So the question is, if we can't see God, how, how do we get to know him? How do we get to know anything about him? Well, it's just the same way as you get to know. Have you got on at this conference? Uh, you walk up to someone, you say, hi, you know, my name's Stuart, and they just stare at you blankly and don't say a thing. It's awkward when that happens, isn't it? You're not going to get to know anything about them. We make ourselves known by our words. We speak to one another. Well, in just the same way, God reveals himself by his words, by speaking. So he speaks to us in here, in his word, the Bible. He speaks to us supremely in his son, the Lord Jesus. Uh, think of uh, John chapter 1. In the beginning, the famous passage was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then as we read on, we hear, don't we, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word became flesh. It's as if God opens his mouth to speak and out steps Jesus. Instead of words, at that point steps a man. The word of God made known. So God creates by his word. God's known by his word, supremely his son, the Lord Jesus, but the words he speaks to us. Uh, God rules by his word. Uh, God speaks words of command. You think of um, Genesis 2. You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God speaks commands. He rules by his word. You go to um, Exodus 20. What do we get in Exodus 20? Yeah, Ten Commandments. God rules by his word. We could go countless places. Couldn't be John 14. Anyone who loves me, says Jesus, will obey my teaching. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Just quick overview to see that God is made known through his word and that God is at work through his word. God extends his rule um, by his word. So uh, Matthew 28, very famously, go, says Jesus, make disciples of all nations. How are you going to do that? By teaching them 
to obey everything that I have commanded you. We get to Acts chapter 1, and we see Jesus saying to the apostles, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, on you and you will be my witnesses. What's a witness do? What's a witness in a courtroom do? Testify. Yeah, they testify. They speak about what they've seen and about what they've heard. They testify with words. And so the apostles are sent to speak the word of Jesus, the gospel message, to the very ends of the earth. And then we get in Acts, we had one earlier, didn't we, in, um, with Vaughan in Acts chapter 19. We get this repeated uh, catchphrase in the book of Acts. So the word of God spread. So the word of God spread. And what happens as the word of God spread is the church grows. God extends his rule. How? By his word. So um, we see the word of God increasing and spreading. God extends his rule by his word. And how does God rule his church? Well, again, uh, as we look at the scriptures, it's by his word. So we've said um, this, is, this is God's word. This is God's word to us. And we know that because Jesus tells us. Uh, right through the Gospels, we hear Jesus quoting the Old Testament, saying, this is the word of God. This is authoritative. This is from God. It's his word to us as we live for God. And then there's a number of places we could go if we had more time in the New Testament to show that the New Testament is Jesus' commissioned, authoritative word, the, the word of God to us in our situation. This is God's word, and Jesus makes that clear. That's why um, the only ability that a church leader must have when we get to the um, pastoral epistles, when we get to Timothy and Titus, is the ability to teach the Bible, God's word. That's how God rules his church. And so there are all these reasons of why we want to be word-centred church planters, planting word-centred churches. It's worth saying, I think, though, that um, we want to be word-centred not because we love books, not because we love a bunch of words, not because even we love this because it's just words. We want to be word-centred because the Bible is God's word. This is Jesus' word. And we love Jesus. And we, because we love Jesus, we want to live for Jesus. And we want to make Jesus known. We're not in love with a book. We're in love with the Lord Jesus, who speaks to us in this particular book. I think it's important as well to say um, that um, a Bible-centred church, a word-centred church, and a spirit-centred church are exactly the same things. Maybe you've heard, and um, I've heard it from time to time, some people say, oh, that church is a spirit-centred church. And then comparing it to another church, they say, oh yeah, and that's a word-centred church. Well, that's a completely false distinction. We mustn't drive a wedge between the word of God and the spirit of God. A word-centred church is a spirit-centred church because it's the spirit of God who takes the word of God to do the work of God in our lives and in the lives of the churches we're a part of. So um, we were thinking last Sunday uh, about the uh, Emmaus Road incident. And don't you love it when the, the disciples say, when our hearts burning within us, as Jesus opened the scriptures to us. I'm sure that's an experience you can relate to. Maybe you've heard a sermon, you've heard someone read a passage of the Bible and your heart's just on fire and you, you want to go and serve Jesus, you want to go and uh, obey him, you want to go and tell other people about him. Maybe you're filled with remorse for your sin. 
Maybe you're filled with excitement to be part of Jesus' church. Maybe you're filled with a passion to go and share Jesus with others. What's happening there? Well, what's happening is that God, by his spirit, is working in our hearts through his word. So that's the principle, if you like. God is made known through his word, and God is at work through his word. What I'm going to ask you to do is just spend a few moments um, on your own. Um, don't chat about anyone with it yet. Uh, spend a few moments on your own just thinking, okay, what are the implications of that? What, what does that mean for you as a church planter? The fact that God's made known and God is at work through his word. How's that going to affect what you do day to day? What's the actual stuff you're going to be involved in with this priority in mind? While I've been talking, I've realised that... Um, I've got PowerPoint to go up with some of this on it, which will make life a bit easier for you guys. So while you're thinking, uh, I'm going to get that set up. Uh, that'll make the next section a little easier. Um, and then I'm going to ask you to talk with the people around you about those same questions. Give us some thought yourself in your situation, in your context. Uh, what's it mean for you as a church planter that the word is a priority? What's it going to affect what you do day to day? And what's the actual stuff? How does the rubber hit the road? What's your diary going to be filled with? in the light of this priority. Let's have a few minutes just to think on your own, then I'll give you a heads up and you can talk with others, see what they think, uh, and then we'll have some feedback. So uh, crack on, don't let the silence worry you. Um, it's time for you just to do a bit of thinking on your own. Okay, you can all go back into your comfort zone and talk to some people around you now. Uh, the word is a priority for us uh, as we're involved in ministry and church planting. What's that mean for us as church planters? What's that going to affect what we do day to day? What's the actual stuff we're going to be involved in? Just chat with a few people uh, around you, see if you're on the same lines. Okay, how are you doing? Who wants to, to share? I mean, there'll be, there'll be different things, but there'll be some obvious ones. Uh, who wants to share some of the things this is going to mean your diary is filled with in a typical week? We want to make um, the Word of God a priority in our church planting. So, what are one or two obvious things you're going to be doing as a church planter? Reading it. Yeah, okay, reading it. Fantastic. It's really important, isn't it? Because we are the main resource our church plant has at this stage. You want to know the Lord Jesus well. You want to walk with him closely. Um, uh, you want to be spending time in his word yourself. And then what are you going to be wanting to do with that? What are some of the things that's going to fill your hours in a day? Let's talk it through with like-minded people. Uh-huh. Talk it through with like-minded people. Why are you going to be doing that? to uh, make sure that, well, for accountability, to make sure that you've got it, you understand okay. it correct, and yep. also for encouragement in terms of you're on the right track. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thank you. Come on, what have you, you written down? I, I wrote down that, um, like, with our relationship with the unbelievers, uh-huh. we want to, you know, with reason, try to gear it towards the word, so yeah. that is what's going to change it. Not just have conversation, have conversation, but be intentional about into the word yeah absolutely you want to where possible open the bible expose people to the word of god yeah okay thank you i, I mean i think it's almost intimated what was said about reading but i think that for church plans especially including us in foreign contexts it's absolutely critical that we are daily in god's word and the, the word of god's impacting us in a very devotional way and it's easy for us who are preaching or teaching to say oh well, yeah. god's word look do all the study you know but to, to really have a devotional life that is meaningful, that's impacting us, 
because as that impacts us, then we can turn around and it's, it, there's applications in our own lives that we can speak from. So it's not just a technical sort of application, but it's a real life, meaningful, it's changed our lives, it's impacting us, let me share with you. And so I think that, that definitely influences how we talk to people and how the word comes across to others. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, and what you're all done. Yeah, go on. Uh, in a former church plant, one thing that uh, uh, was the church members really uh, benefited from, a lot of them young converts, uh, during the summers I would uh, uh, give them a plan to read four chapters of the Bible a day, which was huge yeah. for some of them. And uh, they were reading books they'd never read, Leviticus and, and whatever. But uh, they really, I was surprised at the response of that, and, and what came back to me was to uh, really increase their appetite for God's Word and, and help them to know the Word better. But it was a fairly easy thing to do. Summer months, people had more time, mm. so that was... Yeah, yeah thank you. Uh, it's so obvious we're not, we're not saying it, isn't it? But we, if we're going to preach a sermon, if we're, or do a Bible study with a group of people, we need to prepare that. And, unless you're very, very able, you need a significant time to prepare that, don't you? So that's going to be a big part of your time, whether that's small group Bible studies, uh, whether that's preaching a sermon, uh, giving an evangelistic talk <coughs> in whatever context or format you do that, whether that's reading the Bible one-on-one -on -one, uh, to build up believers or to expose unbelievers to the gospel. Your exposure to the Word of God and exposing other people to the Word of God is going to be a big part of your actual time and preparing to do that. And when you kick off, if you haven't got much experience, you might find that takes loads of time. And take some encouragement from those who go before us. Uh, it gets quicker, it gets easier uh, as time goes on. We'll come back to this when we think about Monday to Friday, Saturday, Sunday, morning, afternoon, evening. How much time are we going to spend on these things? Let's think about another priority. I, I apologise, that is tiny. Um, we haven't got the right leads to show that through there, uh, I'm afraid. So um, we're going to think about the priority of the, the Gospel mission. Um, we'll come to that in a moment. <clears throat> the priority of the gospel word, and now the priority of the gospel uh, mission. Uh, now, I'm standing in front of a group of church planters, and you know full well that we're sent uh, on a mission uh, to take the good news of Jesus out to all the world. Where do you go in the Bible for that? Where's uh, somewhere you might think, yeah, yeah, that, that's a place that gets my heart burning to go on mission, or that's a place where God clearly tells us we're about that. Yeah, thank you. Great commission in Matthew 28. Anyone go anywhere else? Anyone else got a particular passage that gets their heart pumping? Whole book of Acts. Sorry? Whole book of Acts. Yeah, okay, whole book of Acts. Why does that get your heart pumping permission? Is this just church punting? Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. John uh, 13 through 17, you have a stringent horse and then a commission at the end of John. Yep. It's kind of a whole commissioning to go into the world. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in Spain, so Romans 15. Okay. Paul talks about his desire for going to Spain. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. We could go almost to any chapter of the Bible, couldn't we? we there'll, be, there'll be lots of places that we're thinking, yeah, because this is the thrust uh, of God's heart, is to get his message of King Jesus, who has all authority in heaven and earth, to rule over a new creation. And he's in the business of rescuing people like us uh, into that new creation. So um, our mission is to go and tell others that King Jesus rules, to go and tell others that Jesus rescues, to make disciples, to make followers of Jesus so that they can experience his rescue, so that they can experience his rule, and so that they can experience his new creation. 
Um, we're going to have a quick look at Colossians. So turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. Um, just like every church, it seems, um, Colossians could easily lose sight of this mission that we're talking about. And um, Paul wants to lift their gaze to the good news. Let me read to you from um, Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses uh, from verse 3. This is what Paul writes. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Here's Paul writing um, Colossians, sitting in a small prison at the time, but he's not thinking small, is he? He's thinking about the big gospel picture. The gospel all over the world is, is growing. Do you find sometimes you, you lose sight of that? I find sometimes in my context I quickly lose sight of the fact that the gospel all over the world is growing. Let me just um, spend a moment encouraging you. Do you know in Asia in 1990 there were 22 million Christians? Today there are over 300 million Christians in Asia, apparently. That's a growth rate of 83%. Isn't that fantastic? Uh, or take Africa. In 1900, 8 or 9 million Christians by the year 2000. Estimated 335 million Christians in Africa. Uh, that equates at the moment, by the way, apparently to about 25,000 new believers every day. That's awesome, isn't it? The gospel is bearing fruit and going out. In Latin America, there are some 34,000 new Christian believers every day. Isn't that fantastic? Or Mongolia. Apparently in 19... Uh, 89, there are only four Christians. Who finds out these things? But anyway, apparently there were four Christians uh, in Mongolia. Today there are over 20,000 followers of Jesus. Or Cambodia in the late 70s, only 2,000 Christians. Today, 150,000 believers in Jesus. Let me give you one more. In Nepal, the world's only uh, Hindu kingdom. First church was planted there in 1959. Just 29 members. Some of us, that sounds like a mega church, but 29 members, uh, 1959, today over half a million Christians in Nepal. Isn't that great? The gospel is bearing fruit over the entire world. The gospel is exploding. And that inspires us to mission, doesn't it? I'm sure that's one of the reasons Paul is telling these Colossian Christians to lift their eyes and to think of the gospel going out, big picture. What is that gospel? Well, have a look down to Colossians 1. What is the gospel? Verse 13 and 14. This is the gospel. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There's the gospel. There's a rescuer. He rescues from the rule of sin and the dominion of darkness. He brings us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption. There is one who has paid the price who has shed his blood for our forgiveness, and he rescues us under his rule. That's the gospel that's bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, even as Paul sits in prison, chained, even as the Colossian Christians struggled to live out their faith. 
even as your church and mine struggle to live for Jesus in a 21st century culture of unbelief and opposition, nonetheless the gospel is bearing fruit uh, all over the world. That encourages us to act in our context where we are to go and make disciples. Where I am is about 100,000 in the locality. Uh, Hinkley as it's, it is a town um, just south of Leicester. There's about 60,000 people there. Take the outlying villages and communities, about 100,000 people realistically within our reach. I reckon, let's say, 95,000 of those are trapped under the rule of darkness, to use Paul's phrase. They're without God. They're without hope in the world. 95,000 people, practically on my doorstep, who face death and judgment. But they don't know it. And they don't know there's a rescuer with a plan to rescue them. Now, now change the numbers. 100,000 near me. What are your numbers? Change the faces. I've got people in my mind as I speak to you, particular people around me. Change the faces for your context. Put us, who know the Lord Jesus, into that context. What does that make us? That wasn't a rhetorical question. What's that make us? People with quite a big responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. It makes us missionaries, doesn't it? A responsibility to get the word of the gospel, the news, the momentous news of a rescuer, out to lost people. So a big question for us, and you know this already, I'm only telling you stuff you already know. A big question for us as church planters is how can we be effective missionaries in our culture? Well, we get some help at the end of Colossians, in Colossians uh, chapter 4. And um, let's read verses uh, 2 to 6. Anyone willing to read that please? Verses 2 to 6, Colossians chapter 4. Thank you very much. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word, for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Thank you. Just let's pick up a few things that that we can learn for ourselves and our church planting teams. And again, this isn't rocket science. Uh, I'm just pointing out basic principles so that we can think what are our priorities so that we can plan our diaries. That's the process that we're going through here. So, well, let me ask you a question. In order to be effective missionaries, what what, what can we do? Looking at verses 2, 3, 4. We can pray, okay? Uh, We can pray. Someone has said that prayer is the primary evangelistic method. Prayer is the primary evangelistic method. And according to Paul, effective evangelism needs effective, persevering, devoted prayer. John Wesley said, um, give me ten men of prayer, committed prayer, and I can turn the world upside down. How's your praying going for your mission? How's your individual prayer life? for the church you long to plant. How's your prayer life as a church, whether that's you and your wife and kids at this stage or whether that's a team of 20, 50 of you? How's your prayer life for your mission? 
Just have a look at Paul's example. Have a look at verse 3. What is it that Paul's asking for in verse 3? An open door to proclaim yeah. the message. Thank you. He's asking for an open door for the message of the gospel, isn't he? Isn't that great? He's not asking for an open prison door. That's, that's the top of my list uh, when I'm stuck in prison. No, he asked for an open gospel door to proclaim the gospel right where he's at. Right where he's at. Lord, give me an opportunity to share the gospel. That's a great prayer for us, isn't it, and for our churches. So, simple as that. First of all, we can be uh, effective missionaries. We need to pray. I told you I was just going to be telling things you already knew. Um, what else? Have a look at verse 5. What else uh, are we going to be doing? Meeting people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, living. Living wisely with our outsiders in particular. You can see that's Paul's assumption there, can't you? It's his assumption that Christians are people who share their lives with people who are not yet Christians. That's the only way that they can be wise as they act towards outsiders. It's a bit like Paul. He seems to want us to be a billboard for the Lord Jesus, doesn't he? He wants our actions and our words to show the world what Jesus is like. The story is told of a little Indian boy, and he's trying to sell oranges in a market. And he's trying all day to sell these oranges, and people are coming and going. It's a busy, bustling area, but all day he doesn't sell a single orange. So at the end of the day, he's weary, discouraged, he's fed up, he grabs an orange, he sits down next to his market stall, and he begins to peel his orange, and he bites into it. And at that point, people around him start to stop. And they, they get a smell of this orange in, in this busy marketplace. And suddenly what's happening? They're all crowding around the store. What do they want to buy? Oranges. Well, that little Indian boy, he just shows an example. He fills the air with the aroma of what it is that he had to offer. And people want some. Our lives, Paul is saying, can do that with Jesus. As we live out wise lives. Like Philip was saying last night, in front of the unbelieving world, we're giving them a sniff of the Lord Jesus. Now we know from elsewhere to some that would be the aroma of death, but to some it will be the aroma of salvation. So we want to pray and we want to live, but of course you know what's coming next. Have a look at verse 6. What else do we want to be doing with our church planting teams, even if that's just our family at this stage? We pray for an open door, we live wisely with outsiders, and what are we doing in verse 6? We speak. Yeah, fantastic, thank you. Uh, we speak, particularly with grace and with salt. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Um, just at a surface level, conversation seasoned with salt, what's that? Well, at the very least, it means engaging conversation, doesn't it? A salty conversation. It's the sort of conversation that gets people listening. Um, John Bunyan in the 17th century, he talks about his experience of a salty conversation. Let me read to you what John Bunyan writes. In one of the streets of Bedford, he says, I came to where there were three or four poor women sitting at a door in the sun and talking about the things of God. Willing to listen, I drew near to what they had. Sorry. Willing to listen, I drew near to hear what they said for I was a brisk talker myself in matters of religion. But I have to say that I heard, but I didn't understand, 
for they were far above, out of my reach. They spoke about a new birth, the work of God in their hearts. They said how God had visited their souls with his love in the Lord Jesus, and with what words and promises they had been refreshed, comforted and supported against the temptations of the devil. And it seemed to me they spoke as if joy did make them speak. They spoke with such pleasantness of biblical language and with such obvious grace in all they said that they were to me as if they had found a new world. They spoke as if they'd found a new world. Speak like that and people listen, don't they? We can all talk personally about the work of God in our lives. We can all talk about our love for the Lord Jesus. We can all talk about the promises of God in his word. Just simply with a sentence or two here and there in our conversation. Or much more as the Lord gives us opportunity. Let's show people our personal experience of God in the words that we speak. So I think to be effective missionaries, just a little snapshot there. We can pray for an open door, we can live wisely with outsiders, we can speak with grace and salt. And where I'm going with this is, well, how does this affect our diary? Prayer, living, showing our lives to unbelievers, speaking with grace and salt. Let's uh, think through the implications of that. Again, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes on your own just to think through, how can I do this, how's it going to affect my diary? Um, what's it going to uh, affect the actual stuff I do day to day as a church planter? Give that some moments thought and then we'll talk about it with one another. You know, church isn't going anywhere. No one's hearing about the, the Lord Jesus. We need to get out there and we need to meet unbelievers. We need to share the Christian life with them. And we need to speak the Christian gospel to them. So just, uh, just very quickly, and um, maybe one or two groups could just give us a couple of things they came up with. How, how's this priority... Uh, of mission as we've seen it here. How's that going to affect your diary as a church planter? What are you going to do? Just shout out a few quick things. Speak with men and women of peace in your context. Okay. Where you can develop a center for steps to go out. Yeah. More speaking can happen from there. Yeah, meeting those sorts of people. Yeah, thank you. So you're going to need some time in your diary to do that. unpack that a bit? Uh, go on, unpack what you mean there. Men and women of peace, what's in your mind? <laughs> Being somebody that's a kind of a solo, uh, you know, missionary in my context, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have many people, I don't yep. have a team yep. around me. Yep. And so finding uh, individuals who are nationals that are, are giving time mm. for me to, to build and to speak this new world mm. into their life, uh, to use the, the terminology that you, you spoke of. And uh, so to have to have these men, women of peace, people that, that are open to hear the gospel, open to hear about maybe maybe they've already came to Christ, uh, and maybe they're people in a in an existing church uh, that's there, uh, but perhaps it's not the church plant that you're going to be mm-hmm. planting, and so finding people who are open to hearing that, and people who are connected throughout the community, uh, and can introduce you to unbelievers. Yeah. Or to maybe some young believers that aren't connected somewhere. So that's that's one one aspect of that. And in your experience, is that something that happens quickly and easily, or takes quite a lot of time? Uh, it takes a long time. Yeah. I'd say no matter where you are, but especially in a very atheistic yeah. Uh, country. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. And that's going to take a chunk in your diary, isn't it? You're going to need to put that in your diary. You know, speaking with so and so, meeting with so and so. It's going to affect how your 
uh, weak looks. Maybe one other example for someone, does someone else want to share something that they thought, yeah, this is going to affect my diary in this way? I've got one which kind of a question comes out of it. Yeah, go for it. I assume that both you should be seeking to, to kind of do it yourself, so making time for non-Christians, that kind of thing. But also there's presumably a role you're leading the church part of equipping, uh, persuading, encouraging people in your church to also do this. And that will take time and energy and effort to either win them to that agenda and then facilitate them doing that. And I'm just wondering uh, what, how, how that tension and balance works out, because you might have some people who think, no, I just got to do it all myself, or others mm -hmm. who think actually the pastor doesn't have any non-Christian friends because, you know, I'm facilitating everyone else to do it. And yes. I guess both are unhealthy, but... It depends a bit on your context, doesn't it? Because if, if um, and we'll have all contexts in the room, if it's just you and your family, you haven't got anyone else to equip. Um, and your first priority is to win some others to the Lord Jesus. So how are you going to do that? Well, you need to spend some time with the lost, and you need to share your life, and you need to share Jesus with them. Um, if there's a team, and you're in a situation where you've got however many other people with you, you want to be doing a bit of both, I should think, don't you? You want to be uh, involved in personal evangelism, uh, and modelling that, but you want to be equipping and helping your team to do that as well, encouraging them to think of contexts in which they can get to know people and share Jesus. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, one of the things that struck me is where he talks about walking wisdom towards outsiders. Uh, for us, as far as making the best use of your job, for us, that we don't have a problem as far as unbelievers. The challenge that God has really graced us with many people who are interested in us and yep. interested in what we're doing. Our, our trouble, our challenge is walking in wisdom in terms of being wise with whom we spend our, with whom we spend our time. You know, who are those who are trying to be discerning to think through who are those who are really interested in Jesus or in, in mm. the gospel versus being interested just in us. Yeah. And so that's, that's a real challenge for us because... If you have a lot of people who want to spend time with you, but you don't, you only have, you know, a certain amount of time, a certain amount of resources. Yep. Figuring that out is definitely a Holy Spirit act. Yeah, I think um, in many ways this is going to be a frustrating session because it's not going to give lots of answers. It's going to raise lots of questions. Um, but I think that's what we need to do, and uh, <laughs> and questions that you need to go away and think about. But what I hope is it'll give you a clear grid for thinking about those questions. Uh, and prioritising some of those answers. So I'm afraid I haven't got an answer to that that we can uh, get through in this session, but definitely it's one for us all to be aware of. Thank you. So there's one question that's going to be, if you're trying to make contacts with people, if, you're, if your context is of mostly employed people, mm -hmm. then that's going to be, you'd have less time with them to do that in. Yeah. And it's evenings when maybe they want to come in from work and crash, and how do you actually meet people who are really just living in their home, going to work, coming home, mm -hmm. closing the door? Yeah, again, it's a question that we're all going to face. In my context, they work all night and they might be around during the day. Um, so it's going to be you difficult. You don't want to wake them up, there, do you? Well, they, they seem to get by on an amazing shift pattern, so they're available uh, at more convenient times. Yeah. Um, let's just uh, touch on this last um, priority. Uh, we've seen the gospel word, we've seen the gospel mission. Um, the other thing I want to touch uh, briefly with the Bible with is a community. The gospel community. Um, you'll know that the uh, Bible word for Christian community is the word koinonia. Uh, it's often translated fellowship in our Bibles. Uh, it's a sharing word. Koinonia means uh, sharing in something or sharing with someone. And I think there's three things when we look at biblical community. Uh, there's three things, biblical koinonia, that are involved. It's what we share in together, uh, what we share with each other, and what we share out together. 
Let's look at these briefly. Turn to 1 John chapter 1. And when you get there, anyone willing to uh, read to us uh, verses 3 to 7 of 1 John chapter 1? Thank you. Yes, please. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Thank you. So our fellowship, our community, uh, in uh, verse 3, is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. But if we have fellowship with God in Jesus, verse 7, if, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we also have fellowship with one another. Koinonia, community with one another. The simple point is this, that those who have fellowship with God also have fellowship with one another. There is a common unity that we share in God and with each other. That's always been God's plan, isn't it? Not just to win isolated individuals to himself, but to win a people to himself. This is our identity. Um, Nigel Stiles said, if you were in his um, session yesterday afternoon, that there's no such thing as castaway Christians. Uh, we are called not just to fellowship with God as an individual, but as a people uh, to be the members, to be the body of Christ. So we're going to share in that together. Now, you know that because you're wanting to plant a church. You're not just wanting to plant individual Christians. So um, gospel communities talk about sharing together. We share in fellowship with God and with one another. What we share with each other. Uh, you'll be really familiar with Acts chapter 2, um, 42 to 46. Um, just think there, what are the early church devoted to? You can look it up if you want. Apostles teaching. Yep. Eating. Apostles teaching. Eating. Yep. Lots of eating. Lots of eating. Yep. Yep. Teaching, eating, there's various things going on. They're devoted as well. The word fellowship comes up. Uh, koinonia, again. Uh, and they're, they're all together. They have stuff in common. You know that. They sell their stuff. They give to those who are in need. They share life together. So every day they're uh, meeting in the temple courts. But they're also breaking bread in homes. Uh, they've got glad and sincere hearts. It's a community characterised, isn't it, by giving to one another, by meeting with each other, by eating together, by Christian friendship, by unity. And as we look through the New Testament, we see this kind of fellowship of Christians working itself out as they share their stuff, they share their time and energy, they share hospitality, uh, they share spiritual gifts together. And when you read through the New Testament and you come across all those one another's, that's exactly the sort of community we'd be expecting to see. And the point is this, you can't live out this sort of community just by putting on an excellent Sunday gathering. If that's what's on your mind as a, as a church planter, doing an excellent gig on a Sunday, you're not going to be involved in, you're not going to be planting, you're not going to see the gospel developing in the sort of Christian community that the New Testament pictures. So we need to ask ourselves questions like, well, how can I create a culture uh, where people are serving one another, where people are honest about their joys and their sorrows so they can bear with one another? How can I create a culture where people are hospitable to one another? 
When we first moved to our town, we asked someone to dinner. They literally stepped back in shock horror that they would be asked around to a home for dinner. Your home? Okay, so we really needed to work on a culture of hospitality because that's part of sharing our lives and loving one another. We need to create cultures where people can encourage one another and build one another up. Particularly for us as men, that means creating cultures where we talk to each other. These things take a bit of time in thinking about how am I going to do that? How is it going to affect my priorities and my time? What we share in together, what we share with each other, and what we share out together. Just turn to Philippians 1. And uh, once you're there, if someone could read out uh, verses 3 to 5 of Philippians 1, please. I'll read it. Thank you. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Thank you. That word there for partnership, it's the same word again that we've been seeing elsewhere. It's the koinonia word. And this time it's talking about Christians partnering together in sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel is part of what it means to be a church. It's part of what it means to be a church community. If you think of um, the disciples, think of um, Andrew and Peter and James and John. They were partners, koinonoi is the word, they were partners, koinonoi, in their little fishing business on Lake Galilee. That's what they did. And then along comes Jesus and he calls them to do what? To go and be fishers of and to be partners in fishing for people, catching them for the kingdom of God. You see, that sort of uh, community where we share together the gospel is part of planting a church. Christian communities share the gospel together. It's that little Indian boy, isn't it, in the marketplace again, with his orange. And like that, gospel community spreads the fragrance of the gospel in a way that people can see and smell. It's very attractive. So yes, absolute priority to tell them the word of the gospel. But we also want them to get a sniff of Jesus. And we pray that as friends, family, contacts come to smell Jesus, that they'll hear the gospel, put two and two together and come to faith as we pray. I'm flying at pace because I want you to think um, about the implications of this and then we'll touch on that sheet that's in front of you. So go straight to talking to two or three people around you and think about this question, community of the sort we see in the New Testament, if that's a priority, then how's that going to affect your diary? What does that mean for you as a church planter? How's it going to affect the stuff you're involved in? Just talk about that. As I said before, this is going to raise questions. I'm giving you a guide to think about when you get home rather than all the answers. So two or three, think about the implications. How's this affect your diary community? I'm going to interrupt you again. Bring your I warned you this would be a frustrating uh, session. Let me encourage you when you get home, just put an hour or two in your diaries to to think this through in an actual productive way. What I'm just trying to get you to do is, is a, it just get a taste of what you need to do in your context to think through how your week looks like as a church planter. I'd encourage you to, to get home, just to you know, write down on a, a sheet of paper, uh, gospel word, gospel mission, gospel community, and then to start thinking through how that looks in your diary. I think you need to ask questions like this. Um, what have I got to do? Okay, maybe you've got a sermon to prepare. Maybe you've got an evangelistic Bible study uh, or a one-to-one to to prepare. Maybe you've got to go and meet that man of peace in your community. Uh, You've got to make time to work out who he is and how you're going to go and meet him. And then you've got to schedule in your diary that meeting. 
Uh, maybe in your context you're thinking, um, I just need to get the church planting team round for dinner uh, and spend some time showing them what Christian community looks like. You can't divorce any of these from one another, you'll uh, be well aware of that. It's the gospel word that produces gospel community. It's not us who, who does that, it's God, isn't it, who, who does that. It's, it's his word lived out as people respond to the gospel. But just in terms of us planning and thinking, it's helpful to have these in our mind. And of course, you can't divorce the gospel community from the gospel mission because it's the gospel community together on the gospel mission, speaking the word of the gospel uh, that we'll see God using. But grab the sheets that you got as you came in and maybe just scribble down these questions on the back. What have I got to do in my week as a church planter? But when have I got to do it by? And um, I apologise again that this is so small for you all. Um, how much time do I need to do that? If you're a very new church planter, maybe you know that sermon you're preaching to your planting team on Sunday, it's going to take you 18 hours to prepare. If you've got a lot of experience, you know that you can get that sermon done uh, in uh, eight hours. Let's ignore the people who say, oh yeah, I did my sermon prep in half an hour. Okay? I'm not saying they're liars, I'm just saying they're extraordinary. Uh, you're not likely to be like them. Um, put a good amount of time in your diary for these various things. What have I got to do? When have I got to get it done by? Uh, how much time do I need for that? And then flip the sheet over and start writing things in these slots. Uh, sermon prep. When am I concentrating well? And when am I actually sleepy and would much rather be engaged by talking with someone? Don't put your sermon prep in that time. Put your sermon prep in the time when you know you're on good form. Uh, family. When, when do I need to be there for my kids? Okay, don't put your uh, going and meeting a non-Christian in that slot. Okay, your kids need you. Don't sacrifice your family uh, as you plant the church. Uh, what about time off? Oh yeah, we, we fill this in, don't we, naturally, and then you're like, oh, I haven't got any time off in a week. Okay, if you're married, your wife, your husband's not going to thank you uh, if you're at work all day when she would love to be seeing you. So time off, time with the family. Can I ask what the, dif yeah. what the difference is between those two? Mm, between which two? The family time and your time off. Yeah, um, uh, again, it depends on you and your context. Yeah. Um, my hard. time off is my family time. Yeah. yeah. But it's hard, isn't it? Because in a secular context, you'll work five days a week, you'll have two days a year yeah. for your family time. And that's you know, mm. four years of ministry, so no idea as to how to divide that time off. Yeah, I think that's an ongoing challenge. I think it's one we need to talk to primarily with our wives, isn't it? If we're, if we're married and we've got family. Um, uh, but we also want to be uh, on good form in our family time. Uh, our family time is a time to think, how can I serve my wife and kids? Not how can they serve me because I'm just wasted. Um, and therefore, maybe we need a little bit of time to ourselves if we're those sorts of characters before we then serve our wives and our families. Yeah, yes? I just add what you said because I totally agree with it. Is that there's two questions that I would be encouraged to ask my wife as well as my children. Of course, with my wife, it is, you know, how am I doing as your husband is the question. Mm -hmm. What do you need from me? So the, the, the children would be, how am I doing as your father? And what do you need from me? So I think those can be really investigating sorts of, you know, go on a date, you go out to breakfast, whatever, with your kids or your wife. And that can be a great way to see and explore, you know, how am I doing? How are we doing? Make sure that you're, you know, keeping a check on the thermometer of your family. 
And as church planters, these things are rarely cut off from one another. Often my time with my family is a great time to get uh, a couple of non-Christian friends along as well. And I don't want to say this is my evangelism time, this is my family time. Often those things are overlapping. Um, I've been faithful to what I said I'd do. I'd frustrate you and give you lots of questions and no answers. Um, what I hope I've done is just give you a little picture of how do you plan your diary. Um, so go home, put that hour or two in your diary and say, right, my priorities are these. This is going to affect my diary like this. And the way I work in the context I'm in, that means my week is going to look like that. And fill in that form. Just a little tool. I hope it's been helpful. I'm sorry it's been so brief. And I know you've got lots of questions. I'm going to pray. And then we've got to uh, go and pray with everyone else about the gospel going out in Europe. Our Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for the gospel of grace that we read about in Colossians. Thank you that you've rescued us from darkness into the kingdom of your son who you love. Please help us to be effective missionaries. Please help us to lead effective teams of missionaries. Please, would you make fruitful uh, the plans produced by our faith. Help us to use our time well for the glory of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.